The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of you who are here, all of you who are joining us online, and particularly if you're a visitor, welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. May His grace and His peace be upon you today. Brett and I are going to start a sermon series called Readings of Scripture, God, the World, Grace, and Us. This has been the year of GROW, where as part of uh, who we want to become at the Springs is we want to gather in the name of the Father and grow into the image of the Son and then go by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a year of growth. This is year we talk about growth. We've talked a lot about discipleship. We've talked a lot about this summer. We had a wonderful sermon series on practices, spiritual disciplines. Would you hear the word discipline in there? And you hear the word disciple. And one of the practices, one of the disciplines which is near and dear to us as Christians, in particular this church and our fellowship, is reading scripture. Now, it may not be as near and dear as you like it to be, but we believe that God has come to us, first of all in Jesus Christ, and then he continues to speak to us by his word. And so, studying and scripture is an important part of our life as disciples. In fact, this year, many of us are going through, we're reading through the Bible. If you've paid a paid attention or maybe you've gotten off track, that's okay. This is not something to feel guilty about, but we want to invite people to read through Scripture because we believe that when God speaks, life happens. If you read Genesis 1, God speaks and worlds erupt. So we want to be people that read Scripture together, that read it individually. We think this is a discipline or a practice of what it means to be a disciple. But reading scripture is not always easy, is it? Some of you might have gotten parts of the Old Testament or Leviticus, and you're like, oh my goodness, what do I make of this? You know, when I was in Uganda, um, I, I struggled with this question about reading scripture. Not because I was in a different place, that was one question I had, but because... I was teaching ministers how to read and interpret scripture, and the way I was taught was I had tons of tools to do that. Like I took Greek for two years, and I had access to commentaries. I studied about historical backgrounds and genre and what all that meant, and all those tools are really, really important, and I wanna encourage you, when you have access to them, use those tools. They're very important. But I thought to myself, these are men and women that live where there's no electricity and no running water, and for sure there's no libraries. There's no commentaries written in their language. And so, how do they read Scripture? Or people that don't have access to that or don't spend a lot of time in that. And so, we want to spend some time talking about, for the next few weeks, how to read Scripture. Now, this is what Brett and I are going to propose. It's not the only way to read Scripture. 
But we want to propose to you and model for you a way of reading scripture that we actually think might produce fruit in your life. So if you have access to any of those tools I've talked about, and by the way, you do, there's many people here, we have access to those tools, but if in your daily reading, we want you just to begin by asking four questions. And here are the four questions. The first one is this, what does the text say about God? What does it say about who God is? What does it say about the world? What does it say about the world we live in? What does it say about us? What does it say about the grace of God? What does it say about the good news? What God's action is in the world for us? And then finally, the question we want to ask is, what does it require of us? Now, we're going to go in that order today, but you don't have to ask those questions in that order. And to be fair, any text you read, you might not get apparent answers to any of those questions. But these are four questions I think you can ask of any text that will help you in your walk, that will help us in our life together as understanding who God is in the world, the world he's created, the gift of the grace that he's given us, and what's required us of us in the world. So this morning, I want to begin in a gospel, the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 up through 12. It says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there and they began thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up and took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father, as always, we give you thanks for your word. For we confess your word to us is life. And so, as we read your word and talk about and think about and study your word, God, we ask for ears to hear. We ask for open hearts that will follow. 
We ask for lives and bodies that will obey. And God, I ask today for the gift of preaching. For it is the name of Jesus Christ who is your word to us, we pray. Amen. The first question is, what does this say about God? Now, when we read Scripture, we always come to the text with questions. And whether we know it or not. So, let me tell you a little story about how this works. When I first came to Oklahoma, back to Oklahoma Christian in 2010, I started a group, uh, kind of a Bible study group, with students and with some faculty members. And there was usually about, oh, 10 to 12 of us that would meet on Friday at 11.30 right after chapel. They didn't get credit for this. This is just where students would come. Some students that I invited would come and do. And we practice this type of reflection on Scripture called dwelling in the Word. Dwelling in the Word is is kind of taken from this ancient Christian practice called Lectio Divina, which means divine readings, where you meditate on God's Word. And so this is how it worked. We would meet once a week, and we would choose a text for the semester. And every week we'd read the same text. And let me tell you a little secret. First, after the first few weeks, I thought this was a really bad idea. (laughs) Reading the same text over and over again, like what can you hear differently? But as we practiced this together, I was overwhelmed by how every time I came to dwelling in this, this practice, that I could hear something different, something new, something fresh. And the practice was this, that I would, we would read the text together, We'd take a minute to reflect on it and ask, what, like, what, what do we hear God doing in this text? And then you're supposed to find a fairly friendly-looking stranger and turn to your stranger and then say, this is what I heard God doing in the text. And they would share back, this is what I heard God doing in the text. And then after sharing those things to each other, we'd get back in a group, and the rule was then you could not share what you heard. You had to share what your neighbor heard. And it wasn't a test, but it was this, this discipline, this practice of hearing the word and reflecting on it and sharing what you heard. Then hearing the word through someone else's voice, right? Then reflecting someone else's voice back and you got to hear how someone else heard you. Can you see how this would be an interesting practice? Right? And you know how, now you know how preachers feel. When you come and say, Ben, I love when you said this. I was like, I'm not sure I said that, but I'm glad you got that out of the sermon, right? Trust me, it happens. But it's also the work of God. That sometimes he speaks, and well, I didn't mean that, but that's fantastic. So I called this meeting that we met together Missio Dei, which is Latin for the mission of God, because I wanted to ask a specific question. I wanted the students to begin reading the text in terms of God's mission in the world. So at the beginning, I would always ask them, what do you hear God doing or see God doing in the text? And what amazed me, faculty were better at this than students. Faculty actually did pretty well. But what students would do is that after they would read the text, they would turn, it's like, well, I hear God telling me to, I hear God saying to me that I need to be this or do that. And at first I was very frustrated. I was like, are they not understanding the question? 
Because the only thing God does is tell them to do something. And the point was to say, what, what is God doing in the text? God does, in fact, some, some of these texts, God didn't even speak. Right? But instead of, instead of pointing that out to them, I just kept emphasizing at the beginning, what, what, do, what do you hear God doing? What do you hear God doing? What do you? And then I realized over time, this is what I realized is happening. It wasn't they were misunderstanding the question. I realized that every student in there had a default question that they came to the text. And they didn't know they had that question. And I didn't know they had that question. And the default question was this. What is this text telling me to do? And they couldn't get, they couldn't answer the question about God because they were answering their default question. They didn't even know they had it. Like the only way they could answer my question was say, I hear God telling me to do this. Now, by the way, that question, what is God telling you to do? is a really good question. It's a question we should be asking. Because texts are meant to address you. They are. They're not biased. They're, they're, I mean, they are biased. They're, they're trying to get you to, do, to believe and do and think something. They're biased in that way. But here's what I want you to consider, at least for today. Is that the question, what does this text have me to do, may not, it's an important question, but it may not be the primary question. Because believe it or not, Scripture is not just about you. Let that sink in for a minute. Believe it or not, Scripture is not just about you. I think it's first and foremost about God. This is revelation about who God is. And so if you're going to ask the question, what does God want of me or require of me or want me to do? The first question, I think, at least at some point, it was like, who is this God that's addressing me? What is he like? Who does he love? What does he love? What does he care about? Who is this God that requires something of me? So this morning when we ask the question, what does this text say about God? I think in Mark 2, 10, I think we get at least one answer. But Jesus says this, but I want you to know after addressing the teacher of the law, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So there's, there's, there's multiple th- ways you can answer this question, but at least today, the way we're going to answer this question in the text is Jesus says, here's, what it, here's who God is, that Jesus has authority. That's who God is. That God and Jesus Christ has authority. This text wants us to know that Christ has authority, that I'm responding to someone who has authority to address me, that Jesus has authority to ask me for something. But most importantly, he has authority to offer us something in a world that needs an authority to offer us something that we can't offer ourselves. And so the next question, what's the world like? So if God is, if Jesus is the authority, what do we learn about the world from this text? And there are multiple ways to view this question. 
one, we can look, you can, you don't have to always, the temptation is to say, it's going to tell us what's wrong with the world. And it is, for sure. The text does that. Scripture does that. Tells us what problems there are. In fact, we can identify them because we experience them ourselves. But also, the text also affirms things in us, right? When God created humankind in his image, he said what? They are, oh, come on, church. They are very good. You are a child of God, Scripture says. So it's this question that not only asks about the world, but says, what does it say about us? So there are lots of good things that the way that Scripture talks. There are also a lot of problems. Sin, death, greed, idolatry, injustice. I mean, you could go down the list, right? But Scripture's also describing sometimes the world in ways that could be good or could be bad. So sometimes you come to text and the famous text about money, right? Money is the root of all evil. There you go. But you remember when Paul takes up the collection for Jerusalem as a gift? Money is a blessing. It can bless others. Do you see how it could be both good or depending on how we use it? So, in Mark chapter 2, verse 6 through 7, I think he may answer this question. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, the answer to this question, at least one of in this text, is what does it describe in the world is that there are competing authorities in the world. If Jesus is an authority, and we claim him to be authority in our lives, there are competing authorities. Now, God created all authority, all authority and power, and so not all authorities and all powers are good. I mean, not all of them are bad. Not all of them are good either. But not all of them are bad. We all have levels of power and authority in our lives. I'm a teacher. I have authority in the classroom. I'm a father. I have authority there. I also have people that are above me. I, I, I sit in different roles, right? I have agency in the world where I can, I can do things and act in ways. On, and I can do it for good or I can do it for evil. But in this story, the teacher of the law... They question Jesus' authority, which puts them in opposition to his authority. Now, if we gave, if we gave uh, the teacher of the law the benefit of the doubt here, maybe they just didn't recognize that Jesus was God. Maybe that's to give them the benefit of the doubt. But probably what's more likely happening here is that they're challenging Jesus' authority to protect their own. Because in the world that they live in, there's only so much authority to go around. And if Jesus claims to have this kind of authority, that takes some authority away from them. So, their response, here's how they exercise their authority. They accuse. Who does he think he is? Have you ever done that? And maybe... 
there's right moments to point out things. But I wonder that if we think about authority, that sometimes I think if I accuse someone in that way, if I use my authority to accuse, am I doing this for good reasons or to protect my own authority? It's a good question, isn't it? But in this text, there's a juxtaposition. There's a contrast that is being set up between the authority of Jesus and the authority of the teacher of the law. The teacher of the law use authority to accuse. But Jesus uses his authority. He has authority and he uses authority for something different. Which leads us to our next question. What's the grace? What's the good news? What ways does God act on behalf of creation for you and I and for creation's sake? And Mark 2, verse 8 through 12 says this. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up and took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. Here's what I want you to know. What's the grace in this text? Is that not only does Jesus have the authority to to forgive, Jesus has authority and he uses his authority to forgive and to heal. This is how Jesus, in this text, God, in this text, this is how he understands uh, how to use authority. This is what authority really looks like in the world. Not accusations. That's what the accuser does. It's actually where we, the word for Satan. Not the accuser. That's not how you use authority. You use authority to forgive, to heal. That's what real authority looks like. Then Jesus says to the teachers of the law, you think forgiving sin shows power and authority? Let me show you what real authority looks like. Jesus exposes their misuse of authority for what it is. They use their authority to accuse in order to keep their authority over others. But Jesus uses his authority to serve others. He forgives and he heals. And praise God, that is good news that we all need. So after asking, who is God? What's the world like? And what's the good news of the grace? The question for us is, what does this text require of us? Given who God is and the way the world is and the way God acts on our behalf, what is now required of you and I? And I think you go back to the first part of this text in Mark 2, verse 3 through 5. It says this. 
some men bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And I think the answer to the question, how, what is required of us, is that we use what authority we have. We use what power we have to forgive, to heal, and to bring other people to Jesus. Because Jesus has the authority to forgive us. So if you get this image, these guys have, I don't know if it's a buddy or a friend, but a guy can't walk. And so they take the authority they have, the power they have with their legs, and they make a decision. Let's go get this guy. Let's pick him up on a mat and let's take him to Jesus. So they're carrying this guy to Jesus and they, just, they get a roadblock in the way. There's too many people they can't get in. Nobody's letting them in. So they make another executive decision by climbing up on the roof of this place. And without asking anyone, they begin digging. And you can imagine Jesus looking up and everybody looking up. And is this an earthquake? What's going on? And the, the dust starts falling down. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, the ceiling comes down. And I don't know how, but they lower this guy down in front of Jesus. And what's interesting in this text is it says, and they saw, and Jesus saw their faith. Not the faith of the paralyzed man. He saw the faith of those who, the four men who brought that guy on a mat. They dug through a roof in order to make forgiveness possible. They dug through a roof in order to make healing an option. Here's the question for you and I. How are you going to forgive this week? These people brought Jesus, brought the guy on a mat. They went out of their way carrying a guy. An act of mercy. Is there someone you need to forgive this week? Here's a question for you. I think this te text asks this question of us. How are you going to work for healing this week? These four guys dug a hole in a roof for healing. It's a pretty radical thing to do. Everybody probably thought they were a bit crazy. But... How are you going to work for healing? How are you going to work for the healing of bodies this week? There's a lot of bodies that need to be healed. In the age of the pandemic, there are a lot of bodies that need to be healed. How are you going to work for the healing of relationships? There may be more relationships that need healing than bodies. I don't know. How are you going to work to heal the brokenness around us? 
How are you going to work to heal the world? Who do you need to carry to Jesus this week? He is the authority that not only can forgive, but he says, if you think that's tough, watch this. Get up. He has the authority to heal. Jesus has the authority to forgive and to heal. Will you respond to his authority today as we stand and sing?